You're listening to Selfish the Podcast. This is the place where we make much ado about you. I'm your host, Allie Martin. Thanks for joining me. reading self-help books, specifically the ones that are going to give you those tangible takeaways that you can use to improve your life. One topic I rarely see covered effectively is the act of time. Now, I've heard speakers talk about learning to say the word no and waking up an hour early, but like, what if I'm already doing those things? So that's where Laura Vanderkam enters the scene. I saw her speak, and after hearing from her, I emailed her that night to continue the conversation because I knew I had to share her message with all of you. Thank you so much for talking with me today, Laura. Thank you for having me. So I saw you speak a week ago. I've already implemented two tips that you shared, making your schedule for the week ahead and using the bits of time you have. Oh, gold star. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about these strategies and how they can be beneficial in giving you more time. Yeah, so planning the week ahead um, is really about a couple of things. One is that recognizing we live our lives in weeks. We often think of our lives in days, but we actually live our lives in weeks. And so we want to um, get a more holistic perspective on our time um, by planning the week as opposed to planning each individual day. But it's also about thinking through, well, what are the most important things for me to be doing over the next week um, in the various categories of life? So both professional, um, I I tend to make three categories, career, relationships, and self. Um, So I make a short category, three-category priority list on Fridays, um, looking to the week ahead, say, well, what would be the most important thing for me to accomplish in each of these three categories? Then I look at the calendar for the next week and plan those in. And that way I can keep making progress Um, toward the things that are important to me in all spheres of life. And when stuff comes up, as it always does, I at least know that those things already have a spot on the calendar. So it's important to do that because it really encourages us um, both to have a balanced life and also to put the important things in first um, because often it is easy for them not to to happen. Mm. The, um, The bits of time is more about recognizing that we have these little bits of time that are hard to use well in life. And for so many of us, the default thing to do when you have a small chunk of time is to pull out your phone, Mm -hmm. check your email, check your social media alerts. You know, you're over at Instagram looking at what's been posted. And yeah, that could be fun, but it's not particularly um, productive or meaningful or even all that like relaxing or enjoyable in the grand scheme of things. Um, and so I just challenge people, and in the speech you heard, I, I challenge the audience to think about this, and be like, what else could you do during those small bits of time? Um, and there's lots of things. If you kind of put on your thinking cap and ponder it, you can certainly um, you know, read in small bits of time, whether it's that you've got eBooks on your phone um, so that you can pull those out instead of your inbox and, and look at that. Uh, or it could be that you use that time for some focused thinking or meditating, or maybe you get outside and get a breath of fresh air. But, you know, there's so many things you can do other than just check email. Um, So if you do one of those things, you'll have a lot more fun, frankly, and probably get a lot more good stuff done too. 
feel way more accomplished by reading little bits of a book and being done with it in a couple weeks than where did that time go? Because I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you looked at a lot of Instagram posts is what you did. Yeah, exactly. Honestly, or you read a lot of headlines that, you know, not that it's not important to be informed in the world, but often we get the picture after Mm -hmm. the first few and, you know, nothing big necessarily happens that you couldn't see every other day um, checking the headlines once or twice. So um, we spend more time reading kind of news stories that don't necessarily put us in a better mood. Um, So, yeah, think of something else to do. So, of course, my favorite strategy that you shared was talking about taking care of ourselves. And I really love that you encourage us to ask ourselves, you know, looking at our weekend, what three things could we do to add to our energy levels? So talk to us about why that's important. Well, I really think that weekends are the secret weapon of successful people, um, and you know, as I talked about in Louisville, it's not that people are working around the clock on weekends and that's how they get ahead. Um, it's also that they never work on weekends, but it's more about viewing their weekends with an eye toward adding to their energy levels so that they can hit Monday ready to go. Um, and I think what often happens is that weekends go kind of in different directions. Either you're so busy, you get to the weekend and think, I want to do nothing, or else you pack it so full of like these things you have to do, all the chores and errands, or you know maybe children's activities that you got to shuttle everyone around to, that you never get to anything that adds to your energy levels. And then you hit Monday exhausted. So you're either hitting Monday kind of feeling like, where did the weekend go? I didn't do anything. I don't actually feel all that relaxed, like because doing nothing I mean, you don't really do nothing. You just do stuff that's like the checking Instagram, basically. Mm -hmm. It it doesn't do anything for you. Um, Or you feel exhausted. So neither is a great idea. So it's better to sort of say a couple days ahead of time, well, what could I do on the weekend that would rejuvenate me? And just like three things, you know, it doesn't have to be huge. Um, So whatever it is for you, maybe it's volunteering somewhere. Maybe it's seeing a group of friends, going for a walk somewhere beautiful. But think about what those things are. Look at your calendar, see where you can do them, especially if you do have a busy life with lots of um, other commitments, family commitments, things like that on the weekend. You are going to have to think through this ahead of time because otherwise it's not going to happen. Like, you know, this this happens for me because I, I have four small children. So the weekend activity calendar is um, generally full. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and And so if I'm thinking, well, I want to run. You know, it's it's not going to there's not going to be a magical time in the afternoon or it's like, oh, yeah, you know, life stops and here I can just go for the run. I actually have to think about like when would be the right time for me to do it. And often it might be earlier in the morning before the activities start. Or maybe it's during an activity if I can, you know, remember to wear my exercise clothes there and then my husband has the other kids. But if I don't think about it, it's not going to happen. And I want it to happen. So I need to think about it ahead of time. And I think, you know, a lot of people get kind of like, oh, I don't want to plan my weekends. I plan my whole week. I don't want to plan my weekends. It's not about planning every minute. It's not about saying, okay, you know, every 15 minutes on my Outlook calendar like I have during the work week. It's just about saying broadly, well, when can these things that I want to do happen? And if you approach weekends from that perspective, you will hit Monday feeling a lot better than if you don't. Mm. So your new book, Off the Clock, Feel Less Busy While Getting More Done. I was very privileged to have a sneak peek at the strategies you share in this book. Your first strategy, tend your garden. Having us treat our time like we would a garden. And like you talked about earlier, sharing you know that three priority list with yourself of self, relationships, career, and, and making that list for the week. Talk to us about how tending your garden is a beneficial strategy. Well, this is really sort of a mindset on how we treat our time. Um, 
because it's not a one and done activity. Anyone who's a gardener knows that, um, you know, gardening is never done, mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that you can always prune and pluck and that you need to prune and pluck to make things look well. And, you know, you have to, you have a sense of what's in the garden, but over time you can sort of change things to make it look more the way you like. It just requires this sort of constant vigilance and tending, but then that's also how you wind up with something that's very beautiful. So it's, it's hard work, but at the same time, it's a lot of pleasure to experience a, a beautiful garden as well. And so I think if you have that mindset toward your schedule and toward how you spend your time, you'll be in a better position than if you think that like, oh, I should just you know do one thing and then life is solved or nothing will ever come up that I have to change. Well, of course, stuff comes up that you have to change. You know, new opportunities come or there might be problems that crop up. Like you're always going to have to be evaluating and tending. But you also have control over, within a broad sense over what gets planted there, um, what winds up growing there, um, what you encourage to see grow there over time. Um, so it's really more about keeping that sort of metaphor. And I like how you mentioned, you know, you're going to get sick. You know, there's going to be accidents, layoffs. Those things happen just like a frost in the middle of your springtime happens to your garden and it may be a small setback but you pick back up and you get back into the routine of things yeah and and I think another thing to think about is that we really all do have the same size garden in the sense that we all have 24 hours in a day. We all have 168 hours in a week. And that doesn't mean that people's gardens have been, you know, were equal to start with. Uh, you know, the, the metaphor I use, I, I live in Pennsylvania and we, we are kind of a soil paradise here. <laughs> I mean, everything is uh, wormy, um, nice. dark, rich soil. It's, it's, it's beautiful when it grows. Um, you know, some people uh, through no personal merit have been born with these gardens of this kind of rich Pennsylvania earth. Others through no fault of their own wind up, um, you know, with these sort of dusty or root filled patches, but you can still over time, um, make any space look better than it did before. Um, and, and so that sense of ownership, um, also comes into play when it comes with time that there are going to be, as we said, setbacks um, that we'll have to deal with, um, you know, the sort of chaos that can can tear into the best ordered life. Um, but again, if we keep that mindset of we are the master gardeners of our lives and we can deal with this plot of earth that we have been dealt and make it better over time, um, then that's a much more useful frame of mind than, than anything else I've come across. Hmm, I love that. I also love what you said, just almost your personal belief about time. You said, honoring time requires embracing certain truths, that time is precious and time is plentiful. Time is finite, so we must make smart choices about it, but time is also abundant. There is enough for anything that truly matters. So what changed for you when you realized this? Yeah, so these sound like paradoxes, and but one of the fun things of, of paradoxes is to recognize that both can be true when you sort of view life from a broader angle. Um, so you can talk yourself into these holes of like, oh, well, is time precious or is time plentiful? I, well, I don't know, but what if we say it's both? You know, what if we say both are possibilities? Um, certainly, 
none of us is, is granted more than if you look at the the Guinness Book of World Records, they pretty much tap out at 120 years, right? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a, nobody's going to go really past that. Uh, few people even get close. Uh, so the, the you know it's all strictly limited in that sense. Mm-hmm. But if you think of all the time within that that we kind of spend, you know, even like looking at the clock, wishing time to go faster. Um, you know, that, that is, is sort of a unfortunate mindset to have, but we do, you know, time does pass and, and sometimes it passes very slowly and we're looking at the clock, figuring out where it's going. Um, so in that sense, it, it, it is kind of vast in the experience of it. Um, and then short in the fi- in the long-term sense of it. But, you know, it's also true in a sort of positive perspective too. Like it's precious and that you don't want to waste it on anything that is, is not important to you and the people you care about. But I truly do believe that we do have enough time for the things that are important to us. I mean, certainly there's enough time within the 168 hours we all have each week to build a career doing whatever it is that is important to you to change in the world, um, to also raise a happy family, to do activities in your community and for yourself that are, are nourishing to your soul. Um, none of these are in opposition. There is space for all of them. Um, and I think that we do ourselves a disservice when we seem to pit one against the other. So you also shared about mindfulness. And you say mindfulness gives you time. Time gives you choices. Choices leads to freedom. So talk to us about how can we be more mindful about our time so that we can get those results. Yeah, this is a phrase from a um, meditation, a Buddhist uh, meditation teacher um, whose name I will mispronounce if I attempt to say it. But anyway, it, uh, it was a phrase that mindfulness gives you time, time gives you choices, choices give you freedom. Um, trying to connect the dots between this idea of um, needing to know where the time goes in order to then feel free about your time. Um I, I really do believe that time discipline leads to time freedom. Um, people feel starved for time when they don't know where the time goes, when they're not sure how much time they're spending on different things and whether they are putting time against the important things in their lives. If you know that, then you can feel a lot more relaxed about time. I really think that the best way to be mindful of your time is to try tracking it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that sounds very non-Zen <laughs> to, to throw that out there. Um, I'm not saying you have to track your time for the rest of your life or like a lawyer, you know, billing your time in six minute increments. But I do think it's worth, you know, spending a week figuring out where the time goes um, just so you can get a, a general picture of what your life looks like. Um, what occupies your time, where there might be open time or time that you're spending on things you don't care about. So it could be repurposed to something else. Um, and by doing this, then you can see, oh, well, you know, I thought I worked a certain number of hours, but in fact, this week I worked this number of hours. Do you think that's a normal occurrence or was this a completely atypical week? And if it was an atypical week, why do I think that? Um, and if it was really atypical, sure, you know, go track another one, but maybe you'll see that what you think is atypical really isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe you'll see that, Oh, this is how much sleep I got in the week. And maybe some nights it was less and some nights it was more. Well, that's interesting. What does it come out to? So I sort of generally have a sense of how much I sleep per week, or, you know, maybe I spend more time in the car than I thought I'd do, or I have this, I have leisure time. It's just that it's concentrated later at night and I'm too, um, 
my, my energy is low at that time. So I'm not able to do anything with it other than watch TV or be online and stuff. I don't really care about. Um, but maybe I could move some of that leisure time around a little bit and have it at a time when I have more energy and then I could do something that I would enjoy more with it. Mm. So it's really just about figuring these things out. So being mindful of it, because then you can start to make choices that do get you closer to having that, that garden that you, um, are pleased with. Okay. So this is the final quote that I'm going to pull from your book. And, um, I hate to, to keep quoting, but there were so many good nuggets and I felt like I needed to ask you about them all. But, um, you said people who feel like they have enough time know how to linger in moments that deserve their attention. They can stretch the present when the present is worth being stretched. So talk to us about why that is. Why do we do that? Well, so a lot of times, if, if you notice how you spend your time, many people spend a lot of moments wishing the present away. Um, you're doing something you don't actually really want to be doing. Like you're sitting in a meeting that's boring. Um, you're commuting and you want to get there faster. Um, or, you know, you're waiting for your kid's bedtime. They're being ornery, whatever it is. Um, we have a, a tendency to do that. And some moments are just not going to be wonderful. That's the nature of life. Like it's, it's kind of impossible to live life in a state of perpetual bliss. Um, but one thing we can do that allows us to feel like we do have more time is to notice when good things are happening and do certain mental, I don't know, tricks, gymnastics, strategies, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. to, to actually make the present seem to move slower, to seem to be bigger and to make these moments stand out more um, as you know they're coming and in the past as you're looking forward, um, looking back on your life, they can stretch um, if you pay more attention during the moment. And there's many strategies you can use. So um, I, I did this recently with, I knew that a soloist, an alto soloist, I really love music, I, I sing in a choir, um, and we have a professional alto soloist at our church who's very, very good, and she was going to sing this um, piece from Bach's B minor mass that is, is one of my favorite mm. pieces of all time, and so I knew she was going to sing it. I had the date on the calendar, like I saw on the church calendar it was going to happen, so I had it on my calendar, mm-hmm, right? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, so I could see it coming up, and every time I thought about it, I'm like, oh, that's going to be wonderful listening to her voice singing this gorgeous piece. Um, that morning I made sure to sort of be there on time, pay attention. Um, I was sort of fully focused as she was singing it. Um, afterwards I wrote about it, uh, that helped make the memory, uh, bigger. Cause it's like, I acknowledged it beforehand. I acknowledged it during, I acknowledged it after. Mm. Um, and there's even other things you can do sort of like, um, you know, recognizing there was a time that you didn't hear this, this particular Bach piece I had, uh, my choir had in college had sung, but I had missed the performance because I was, you know, doing a study abroad thing and I had to leave earlier. Um, And and so it was always a something I'd never heard performed that I wanted to hear performed. So I, you know, thought about this time that I didn't have it. And now I was going to hear it. You know, so being aware of that contrast to help make it bigger in my mind. And, you know, it's only a couple of minutes. Um, like the, the song is only a few minutes long. Like you can't actually make something longer than it is, but it's occupied a whole lot more than, you know, four minutes of my time. Four minutes is the amount of time it takes me to pour like cereal for my two, for two of my kids in the morning. Like, mm. uh, but I don't remember pouring them cereal in the morning. That, that four minutes does not stand out. These four minutes do. Um, and so that's how you can stretch time. 
That's interesting because uh, just the other day, my friend and I were talking about a trip we had taken and other than the pictures we had taken and posted on Facebook, we didn't remember anything about the trip. So unless we had memorialized it to where we could go back and remind ourselves, we didn't have any other memories. So I think that speaks a lot, uh, that speaks volumes to like you said, you know, thinking about it afterwards and whether that's writing about it, taking a picture and and posting it or keeping it, um, that really does make those memories last. Yeah. And you can consciously do things to conjure up memories too. I mean, you and your friend may not have many memories of this trip. I bet if you went back to that place, some of the memories would start coming back. Um, curiously enough, that's, that's something that can trigger them again. And as you talk to each other about it, Um, That's one of the great things of getting together with old friends is that you have these shared memories and you can bring them back up and talk about them. And that makes them sharper for you as well. They stand out more. And when you have those memories um, that are sharper, you think, oh, I have more time because you had the time to have these memories. And you could do this proactively, too. I really um, one of the the later uh, next chapters in the book, not the one you read, but the um, We talk about actually um, making life memorable, that you can proactively make life memorable by planning in little adventures, that things that are going to make you be able to answer the question, why is today different from other days? Mm. Um, Because most days are not different from other days, and that is why they disappear in memory. But if you can make them different from other days, then they won't disappear in memory, and then you will feel like you have more time. I love that. So you joke about the fact that you're an expert in time management, but, you know, sometimes you're late. So um, that is very ironic. Uh, But as a wife, a mom, a blogger, a speaker, an author, what strategy do you personally rely on to balance everything you have going on in your life? Well, I think really it is about thinking through what are the important activities in each sphere of life. Um, And making sure that I am doing something in all those categories. And, you know, every day is not going to have everything. Um, It can't. There aren't enough hours in the day to do everything on any individual day. But when I look at the whole of the week, it tends to be pretty good in terms of, um, you know, I have put time against all the, the different things that are going to happen. So, you know, for instance, this is a, the week we're talking. I've got more travel coming up. I'm, I'm leaving for Seattle this afternoon um, to do another speech. Um, so the first part of the week is pretty work intensive, but then I'll be back in time for one of my children's orchestra concert, and I've got that on the calendar, making sure that happens. Um, I've got some carved out time with my three-year-old on Friday for us to do something together. So, you know, it, it's just really about um, over the long haul, uh, making sure all these things get their space in life. What are your favorite ways to be selfish? Um, well, I am definitely not a martyr uh, <laughs> when it comes to, uh, you know, somebody said to me like, oh, yeah, you know, the little kid stage is such a sacrificial stage for women. I'm like, well, you know, not so much, not for me. Um, mm. <laughs> so. And, and that's because I really do have my own interests and I want to make sure that they happen. So I run every single day, um, by which I mean seven days a week, 365 days a year. 
And that's just something I have committed to doing because I really enjoy it. Um, I enjoy, I think it's important to exercise for many things, physical fitness, health and all that. And I also enjoy it. So, um, you know, I just say I'm going to run at least a mile every day that usually a mile only takes me 10 minutes. So I'm really only committing to 10 minutes a day. I usually run a lot more than that, but, uh, that's my, my commitment. And so, you know, I feel like in 24 hours I can find 10 minutes. Uh, and that's true. I have, um, I sing in a choir, um, which it's my church choir. So it rehearses on Thursday nights and we sing on Sunday mornings. So obviously that's some quantity of time, um, that I am not home. I'm not dealing with other people's stuff, Mm. but I really enjoy it. And, uh, I want that to be part of my life. Um, so those are two things I do. That's great. Is there anything you wish you could be doing more? Um, you know, not really. <laughs> um, you would have found the time so for it if you. I would have found were... <laughs> the time for it because I really do believe that if something is a priority, you can make the time for it. Um, and so, if I'm not doing it, it's because it's not currently a priority in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I might. I'm, I'm going to run a couple races later this spring and summer um, that maybe I should be running longer training runs for, but I know I will make the time as we get closer. Um, it hasn't really worked in winter, but I know it's also that I had, don't really want to be running out that, all that long outside when it's freezing cold outside. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's not um, the things that, I would change are not things that can be changed. Like I really wish it were possible to go speak places without having to fly there, but because I don't really like flying, but until teleportation is an option, like I'm going to be on those planes. And so I just (laughs) need to make the most of it. Um, and, and there's nothing I can really do about that. So what is next for Laura? Well, I'm really excited about this book coming out and it really, it covers, um, I did a time diary study looking at 900 people's time logs. Um, I asked them to recount the previous day, hour by hour, and then I asked them questions about how they felt about time. So I could see, you know, the people who felt like time was abundant. What were they doing differently than the people who felt rushed and harried and pressed for time? And I think there's a lot of interesting and sometimes counterintuitive things in there, but it was fascinating to me. And so I hope the world will find it fascinating as well. I can't wait to read the entire book. So thank you so much for talking to us today, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Selfish. You can find show notes on SelfishThePodcast.com. If you like what you hear, please tell a friend about Selfish and make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 